And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, and this afternoon I'm joined by a special guest, Chris Doer. Chris is the assistant coach of men's tennis at Florida State University. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit of your your background, your your athletic career, moving into coaching, and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Tim. I appreciate that. Um, you know, like you said, I, I've I started playing tennis when I was seven year old, uh, seven years old. I grew up in London, England, uh, just outside of London, if, if we're being specific. Um, at 18, was was always a pretty good player. I got offered a, a scholarship to go play at Mississippi State at 18. Uh, loved what college coaching was all about. Just loved the team atmosphere. Loved even even the minimal amount of recruiting I could do there. You know, I just I was very lucky to have some great coaches when I was at Mississippi State, and so. Wanted to pursue a coaching career. Uh, spent one year at the volunteer at Mississippi State, then moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, was very lucky to get the assistant job there. Worked there for seven years. Had a great program there, and have just finished my, I guess my first year at Florida State. It's finished being a, a asterisk at the top of it because uh, it got cut a little bit short. Yeah, yeah. Now talk a little bit about coming from the UK over to the US. It's it's something that if not prepared for, can can go awry. And and when you're recruiting athletes from abroad, there are some some challenges associated with that. What were the challenges for you? You know, I think I think being able to speak the language is obviously a big help. Uh, I'm very lucky. You know, if you when you speak English, coming to America, everyone was so nice. Uh, you know, I'd say the biggest challenge for me probably was I got sick uh, about a month into my freshman year. Uh, you know, I had having I had strep throat or the flu or something like that, and it was this realization that I didn't have my mom and my dad to kind of take care of me when I was sick. It, it was really mm-hmm. me. You know, my teammates put their head in the door of my bedroom every now and again to see if how I was doing, but you know, no one was really there to to cook me soup or or kind of help me out in that tough time. So, you know, just that realization that you're a little bit on your own. Um, it was a challenge, and I use the word challenge because it really helped me very quickly to kind of grow up and realize that I was on my own and that I needed to take care of myself. Um, you know, my tennis career allowed me to travel a lot. I traveled around the world. So I had a little bit of experience of being on my own. Hmm. Um, so I, I didn't have too many other sort of panic moments, I guess, necessarily. Uh, the only one, I, funny looking back now, but it obviously wasn't funny at the time, was I, I never really panicked about coming to the States until I sat on the plane um london heathrow airport flying to atlanta we had this huge delay for some reason i fell asleep i woke up we were still um we were still in london for whatever reason and my brain just started having all these crazy questions you know what what if what if i don't like mississippi what if it's too hot what if it's too humid what if i i don't understand people you know all these you know very illogical questions started coming in and then you know i but i was just stuck there i was just sat there in a seat um 18 years old and um, you know, it, but it was good. I, I learned a lot about myself and, uh, you know, but it also helps me when people come over here and, and I understand what players go through when they come to the States. It is a little bit different sometimes. Yeah. You and I both came from England and I know exactly what you mean in, in terms of just preparing for the unknown and understanding that it is unknown and there's some things you cannot prepare for. Mm-hmm. When I came to the U.S., the NCAA was this interesting term that I didn't really understand very well. And, and as a, a student athlete, you're limited as to how much you can practice. And all of a sudden you're in, engaged in a, a U.S. 
education system, which is very different from England. Mm-hmm. How, how did you find that experience and kind of what helped you along the way get through that? Uh, the, the academic side of things weren't too challenged for me that first year. Uh, you know, like you said, the, the system's a little bit differently. So some of the schooling I'd already been through, you know, my academic advisor was quite smart to put me in a lot of classes that I was very comfortable with. So whether it be some basic English, whether it be algebra, and that helped a lot, you know, just being able to take care of things I kind of understood. And then I was really lucky to have a, a head coach, uh, a guy named Sylvain Guichard, who's, who's done an incredible job at the USTA now. And just him being able to talk me through, he was actually French, and he really helped me on a day-to-day basis, just, just navigating practice, you know, he, he was very stern with me, but I really liked that, you know, told me to make sure I'm eating correctly, you know, hydrating, you know, doing doing all the things to make sure that, that things don't just accumulate and then suddenly I have this panic moment. And so that helped a lot. When you when you talk about going through your collegiate career, a lot of us who went into college were kind of got to the end of our, our, our college degree and we're just kind of like, what do I do now? You know, what am I supposed to do? Nobody's really told me what, I, what the next step is. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? How did you get your assistant coach position in order to to kind of make that transition from an athlete into a coach? Um, I, I think for me, it was my junior year. I I played this tournament. Uh, it was a pro event in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and I lost to this guy that I really felt like I should have beaten. Hmm. And I think that was kind of the moment that I knew I wasn't going to make it as a professional athlete. Um, you know, looking back on it now, my freshman year, I played with a guy called John Isner who played at Georgia. Uh, you know, I played against him and I, m- I remember seeing how good he was and how much better he was than me. So I, I guess that realization that was going to happen. So then I started looking into what I wanted to do. You know, I was doing a journalism degree. Um, you know, the newspaper industry was, it was kind of at the start where it was kind of declining a little bit. And obviously now it's changing. And, and so... I think I just realized how much I loved college coaching. And so I started talking to my coaches at the time. Uh, you know, Penn Nielsen was the head coach of Mississippi State then. You know, he's now the head coach of Pepperdine. Uh, and then uh, Matt Hill was the assistant coach uh, at Mississippi State. He's now the head coach at Arizona State. They both loved what they do. And it was very clear that they enjoyed what they did. And I just wanted to be a part of it. And so as things started kind of talking, uh, you know, this idea of being a volunteer assistant kind of came up where I would uh, stay one more year at Mississippi State. I would kind of be more like a liaison between the team and the coaching staff. And uh, I, I would teach some private lessons to kind of help pay rent. And, you know, when you're 22, 23, you know, it, it, you don't have to make that much money. Obviously, at the time, it felt like a lot of money. But, you know, paying for rent and all that stuff wasn't that difficult to do. So, uh, yeah, that's how it kind of transitioned out. And, and it was just, I think I was just really lucky to work with so many coaches that love to do what they do, that it, it really, their energy and enjoyment passed on to me. Well, how then do you get from being a volunteer coach, which is a good thing, you get the experience. On the other side, as you talked about, you're not getting an income. And, and I've heard that discussion on this show already. <laughs> how... How then do you transition from being a volunteer coach who pretty much anybody will take because you're you're free labor into no now I'm now I'm getting paid a salary now I have clear roles and responsibilities and all this how did that happen was it networking was it qualifications explain I think it was a, you know and that's a good question you know the volunteer role has changed a lot over the years uh, 
I felt like in men's tennis, it used to be something that was kind of done by a few schools. And now I think a lot of schools can, can find guys, uh, certain programs such as us at Florida State, you know, we have a lot of people that apply for that position. So it's always finding the right guy, you know, making sure someone that they're, they're going to act professional enough with the team. And uh, we actually just, we just hired a guy that I'm really excited about. His, his name's Axel, you know, he's, he's an absolute legend already, but he's been around the sport a little bit, loves it. Dad's in tennis. So, you know, we're very lucky to hire him. In terms of, of finding another job, you know, networking was a big part of it. Uh, you know, I'd sent out some emails to the head coach of Memphis, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Sometimes they got a response, sometimes I didn't. Uh, I, I was in a very interesting situation where I actually got engaged with my wife. And then I got, uh, then I realized how hard it was to, to actually get a, a visa and, and come and get married. So uh, we always knew we were going to be in Memphis because my wife was in nursing school there. And so it was just a way of, okay, look, how can I help out the program? And so I was just telling coach Paul Goble, who's, you know, been a great mentor and I loved working for him so long. He, he's such a great coach and he's such a nice guy. And, and I think he really appreciated just the fact that I was just trying to get out there and trying to put myself out there. And I even said to him, look, I'll be the volunteer assistant if you need me to. I don't mind doing this for free. I just want to be in college tennis in some way. And so at the time, I was a little bit scared about what that meant. Or what was I going to do? But I guess I just got, you know, like I said, I've been I've been pretty lucky in my life. And, um, you know, the first six months after I got married, I couldn't work because I didn't have a work permit with the with the immigration stuff, which, you know, once again, it just there's all these things I didn't know about at the time. But like I said, I, I was able to volunteer with, with Memphis at the time. And then the current assistant was doing both programs and. And then he took a, a head job somewhere and I just kind of slid in very nicely. And uh, we built we built a really good program in Memphis. We were we were very lucky to have some great guys that worked hard that just loved tennis. And, uh, you know, we, we had arguably the most successful mid-major program at the time. Uh, we're watching Chris Doerr. He's answering questions. So if you have one, put it in your chat box and we'll get it to him. Now, you, you were at Memphis, I think you said seven years. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, I, I want to reiterate something interesting that you said, which was you didn't just contact him once. You didn't just send the random email and kind of let it go. And I think there's a lesson there that sometimes we, you know, hey, I'll give it a shot. And if they don't respond, I'm going to just accept that, that that is not what's supposed to happen. There was a pursuit there and a, and a deliberate effort to continue to, to build that relationship look what happens you're there seven years what's been the rationale for for moving from you know essentially an assistant coach to an assistant coach position you know it's memphis we accomplished so much there like like i kind of said you know i i learned so much from coach paul and um i wasn't sure which way to go i didn't know whether to go and try and get a head job you know mm-hmm. i had a few interviews so you know pretty lucky and and then um at the same time, you know, I wasn't sure if I was completely ready just to go from one assistant coaching job, really, to them being a head coach. You know, a lot of people would kind of advise me that it's good to go different places. You know, every place has its positives and every place has its negatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to be able to move from school to school, I always felt like, well, if I'm going to be an assistant somewhere else, it's a job. I know how to do it. But obviously, the expectations from Memphis at Florida State are very different. And so, you know, we came here and... Coach Dwayne kind of called me up and, you know, Tallahassee is a, a beautiful city. You know, my wife fell in love with it straight away. Uh, you know, we, we just bought a, a house about two months ago, actually. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be here for a long time. And 
but it was it was having coach Dwayne say hey we have this we have you know we have these strength coaches that you know are, are full-time with men's tennis you have your own trainer you, you know you're going to get to recruit a little bit more you're going to you know we have it's, it's just a bigger program and so for me it was like okay well I think I've done great things at Memphis but now it's time to really set my skills up against the best teams in the country mm. and so that's why I came here I came here to you know the cliche is win a national title, but I think it's put ourselves in the conversation, put ourselves in that position. This program has been top 10 in the country for a long time. And um, this year we were having a great year. We were up to like number 15. I think it was one of the last rankings. And, and so I was really excited how the guys were doing this year and how they were working, but that's our aim. I think that's our five to 10 year plan is to put Florida state back in a position where it feels like you can win national titles. And, I truly believe that we have everything here that we can do to make that happen. And Coach Dwayne has done a wonderful job in his 20-odd years here of of putting Florida State in that conversation. And so that's what I'm excited to do. Yeah, so the lesson there, not all assistant coaches are the same, right? There's, there's different levels. Mm-hmm. And so even though you still have the same title, it's a step up from where you were at Memphis. Yeah, I, I know, like I said, it's, it's although it's the same position, uh, you know, it, it's just different. It's different. And, and the one thing I've learned a lot, which is, you know, I didn't have as Memphis was just managing people, mm-hmm. uh, managing people skills is, it's not easy. It, it's not a, you know, where, mm-hmm. where I did a lot of things myself. Now I, I, it was like, great, I have someone to do this, but then if I wanted something done in a certain way, I had to also respect that they had their way of doing it. And so that's been a good challenge. And I think that's a very good skill in, in terms of, you know, when, if I become a head coach, you know, I, I just, I love being an assistant. Honestly, Dwayne has to deal with all the, some of the other stuff and I can, I can be on call. I can recruit. I can, you know, I can do individual meetings. I can watch film. I just, you know, there's so much enjoyment of being an assistant coach, you know, and, uh, you know, coach Dwayne's so good at handling like 25 things at once. Whereas for me, I like to focus on three big areas and, and try to do them really, really well. So, uh, for a lot of people, I think everyone's different. I've seen people jump from assistant coaches to head coaches and do great. And I've seen some people stay assistants for a couple of different times. I, I think everybody has their own path. And if you can, I've always, one of my mentors always told me, if you can go and work for someone who's really good in an area that you're not great at, then take that opportunity and go and learn something else. And so that's where I've always seen this job as just something you never stop learning. And I'm always trying to just keep learning and, and make sure my ego doesn't get in the way of me becoming uh, a more all-rounded coach, I guess. I want to come back to the learning aspect of coaching tennis, but you, you mentioned recruiting being one of your responsibilities. It's a huge responsibility in, in a, an environment in the NCAA where, you know, a lot of times getting the best athlete makes a huge difference in whether your program is successful or not. How do you recruit? What, what do you find is, is the best way to recruit for you? Um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, you, you touch upon a good point trying to get the best athlete for me. It's about finding the right guy with the right fit and the right personality. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always trying to talk to these guys as much as I can. I'm trying to talk to their coaches. I'm trying to talk to their parents. Uh, I'm not just speaking about tennis. I, you know, I want to know what they like to do off court, you know, how they've done in school, you know, what, what life events have happened that kind of shaped them. You know, it's about building this big picture. And then at the same time, you know, I'm trying to create a vision for them of, of where I can take their game. So a lot of guys that look at Florida State are looking to come here and they're not only looking to win an NCAA championship, but they want to go on and do great things on the pro tour. 
And so I've been lucky to work with some athletes who have, have done that uh, when I was at Memphis. And we've had a lot of athletes do that from out of Florida State here. And so it's just continuing that idea that, that our goals and their goals have to line up. Um, but one of the big things that I think we're trying to do, and, and it even leaks into their freshman year, especially their first semester, is really create that player-coach relationship that we both trust each other. And I believe once that trust is truly built, uh, that's when great things happen. It's a good point, but how do you do it? How do I build trust? Yeah, how do you, you that first semester, how do you build that relationship? Do you have activities that you do, or is it just spending time with them? You're spending time is a big one. Um, doing a lot of individuals helps a lot. Uh, you know, we we plan a lot of our team practices even be very individualized so that the player is working on things that they want to work on, but at the same time working in a way that they feel comfortable. And then I think it sounds silly, but listening. You know, I think a lot of players love to have a voice. They want to talk to their coaches, but sometimes they maybe don't feel like they're getting listened to or they don't feel like they can come to us and, and say, hey, I prefer if you did this this way. So when we're setting up individual meetings, you know, I try and meet my guys every two weeks individually. A lot of it is just like, hey, how can I make things a little bit better for your practice? How, you know, what am I missing? What am I not doing right? And, and and it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to take in everything that they say, but I, I found that when you're when you're hearing them and it sounds so simple it, it makes such a difference and then they in turn i think they slow down and, and they respect that it's okay we're all working together as a team and we're working towards the same goal and so it's just creating that um you know that relationship i think listening is a simple concept but something that coaches miss out on yeah i i, I agree completely well, looking then at, at what you do is as an assistant coach, recruiting, we mentioned, is a, a big part of your job. How do you how do you balance recruiting the best players, recognizing that they may not want to come to FSU, knowing that FSU is not a top five program? I hate to say it, by the way, but you know, top not 15, yet. high not quality. Yet. You're gonna get you're gonna get a lot of interest from a lot of athletes, mm -hmm. but then you really want that one athlete who is a top five player, but they're looking at maybe some other programs that have more historic success. I, I, I don't know, a Georgia, for example, where, where John Eisner went, right? I think he went there. He went there. Um, it, you know, is, is there anything that, that you found that can convince recruits to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from, from that historic program and I'm going to come to FSU because I believe in, the, the coaches or the system or the Tallahassee? How, how do you get the, those really good players who, who you know, could go to maybe a top five program? Um, I think that's a good question. You know, a, a lot of it is, is building relationships. You know, I think we're, we're very lucky here at Florida State to have everything at those top five schools, you know, maybe more. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're so close to so many pro events. We have so yeah. much pro tennis in Tallahassee with the Challenger and then you've got the Futures and, you know, you're driving distance to all these events. I think it's like 10 Futures are in Florida. So I would say, you know, in response to that, it's not about convincing them about something that we don't have. I think we have everything there. I think it's just building those relationships so that they realize that. And then at the same time, you know, like I said, there there are a lot of programs that have a lot of history, and I think we're one of them. I think we, we have a lot of history. Like I said, we've been in the top 10 for a long time. We've, we've had a lot of great players come out, you know, 
Um, you know, you've got guys on tour. I mean, we're lucky to have two guys on tour right now who are ranked in the 200s on the pro tour. You know, uh, I had two guys in Memphis, one guy's in the 300s, and then one guy who just won the Australian Open in doubles. So it's there's there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of tracking that kind of go together. And so most of the times it's about making sure that we, we get our information out to them correctly, that they are understanding of what we're trying to build and the system that we have in place. But I think that that's also the exciting part. That, that, that's, why we, that's why we came to that Florida State. You know, it's about competing with the, the big boys because, you know, I truly believe that Florida State is one of them and we need to get in there and, and start a... Uh, and start making it happen. And, and we're so excited. I mean, it's it's a shame that we can't recruit this summer. We can't go see people because I was fired up to, you know, go back to Wimbledon, go go to all these different places all around Europe and and see some of these. I mean, there's we're talking to so many great players right now. It's it's it would be so exciting to go watch them and meet them and and you know look at some of these other coaches. It's like all right, you know, we're here. We're we're ready to compete. Yeah, you, you made it sound terrible recruiting, going to Wimbledon and go all around Europe watching, you know, tennis. Sounds awful. <laughs> it's, 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 someone has to do it, so I, you know, I guess I'm lucky to do it. But, no, I agree with you. I mean, we, we every college coach will tell you there is parts of our job that is amazing, and we're so lucky to do what we do. And then there's some parts of it that is very frustrating, and people don't realize it when they get in. And so that's where I think being a volunteer assistant or grad assistant is so great it's such a great experience because you get to see behind the iron curtain almost of of what coaches are really doing during the day and how they're taking care of 10 athletes at a time and um and and like i said i think some people don't like recruiting you know they don't like digging up players they don't like talking to them every day they get offended if a 17 year old doesn't respond to something you know for me it's it's something i kind of enjoy sounds sounds crazy but it's just i just love every second of it well, you said there's some things in coaching that, that aren't as glamorous. I, I think that's important to clarify and, and, and explain for, for anybody interested in getting into coaching or, or even moving up into collegiate coaching. What are some of those parts where it's just not the most fun and sometimes it's just a grind? Uh, paperwork, you know. Um a lot of these NCAA rules make us, you know, whenever a guy comes in on an official visit, you got to do, you got to fill out like 10 documents, you know, mm -hmm. I've got to put in the practice uh, hours, you know, there's, there's all these different areas that they're just, you're not just on court the whole time. And so that's what I would love to do. I'd love to be on court and then I'd love to go to recruit and then get back on court and then recruit. And, you know, those are the two things that I would love to do. And being an assistant coach and, and having someone like coach Dwayne, who has been here for so long, it's, it's great to have the connections that you have. So a lot of those type things don't get in the way of us doing what we're trying to do. But yeah, I mean, it's especially with practices kind of being suspended right now. Uh, I have felt a little bit sad that I'm not, you know, being able to get on court with the guys, not being able to work with them. You know, it's been more talking, hey, how's this going? Uh, they sent me video of, of certain things. They've sent me video of, of hey, what does my serve look like? This is my forehand. And, and it's great to break that down. But uh, you know, I think for me, it's just paperwork and I guess, and not to pick on my compliance department because they're awesome here. They do a fantastic job. Uh, it, it's those kind of things that I think they just don't, they don't necessarily get me up in the morning, but I understand that they have to get done. Good answer. You, you mentioned going, you know, the desire to go back to Europe and watch players. When I was at Oklahoma state, the team didn't have any American players on it. What is, what is the status at FSU? And, and I'm assuming you do have a large group of international players. 
How do you kind of work in all the different cultures and languages to make everybody part of a team? Uh, that's a great question. You know, we, uh, we have, we have two Americans on our team right now. We have two more coming in, in the fall. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting, you know, having all these different cultures. I think we have almost, almost every continent is basically represented. I think maybe mm -hmm. a couple, but, uh, yeah, the language barrier can be a big challenge. Um, and I think a lot of it is about talking to different people and, and, and understanding their cultures, you know, a, a, someone with a different culture to you is an opportunity for you to learn about their culture. And so if you ever get a chance to travel the world, which, you know, like I said, in recruiting, I get to do, I got to do as a player, you know, you have to learn to be able to survive in different countries. And so uh, I think that has, that has helped me to have to transition down to different guys about understanding that, you know, you can talk with some people about, you know, the NFL and college football and then other guys I've got to talk about rugby and then other guys I've got to talk about cricket. And and so for me, I, I think internally it's about finding two or three things that you can talk to about each player. And then when you see the team gelling together, you know, understanding that not everybody thinks the same way. And so anyone that thinks a little bit differently, it's okay to kind of sit down and say, look, although you see it this way, this guy might see it that way. And so you have to be okay with something happening in a certain way and and it is an ongoing changing environment i think when you have the guys from different culture especially now with social media coming in uh you know i remember a few years ago we got a guy when i was at memphis and he took a lot of selfies and so selfies weren't as popular as they seem to be now and somebody made a comment and sort of almost making a little bit of fun of him and it really offended him because he came from a culture where they took selfies and so it is really about navigating that you know more curious curiosity as well sorry more curiously but also you know being being okay to uh you know learn something from a different culture and position in that office looking back over your experiences as a player and, and then going from a, a volunteer coach into an assistant coach role at, at two different schools what what advice would you have for coaches who are looking to to get into tennis or, or maybe improve their skills in tennis? Um, what well, one thing I would always say is never stop learning. You know, you, you'll be surprised how much you can just learn so much from so many people around you. You know, we have, you, you, you can, tennis is such an, coaching is such an interesting area because it, it, there's no, there's not always a completely right way of doing it and that's it. You know, there's very different ways of doing it. And so tennis being an individual sport, Every coach that you meet, you know, you, I always think you can learn something from them. You can learn something from every player. And so that would be the first thing I'd say would never stop learning. And then the second thing is to, you know, especially early on, is really throw yourself into the game. You know, be on court as much as you can. If, if head coach wants you to do something, go do it. You know, I, I was so lucky in Memphis to have a head coach that was every year he was like, okay, we're going to make you – we're going to make you better. You're going to be in charge of, you know, equipment. You're going to be in charge of compliance. You're going to be in charge of team travel. And so, because at some point, the goal, I think for every assistant coach is to be a head coach at some point, you know, it's definitely my goal to be a head coach at a power five school at some point in my career. And so when you get in a position, you don't want to suddenly go, Oh my gosh, I've never, I've never booked a hotel room. I've never arranged travel for a whole team. And so when I was at Memphis, I was very lucky to have that. And I think I have that here with Coach Twain as well. You know, we have great understanding and great trust. And so that's the second thing I would tell people to, uh, you know, not be afraid to make mistakes doing new things because there's always people around you that can help you in athletics. That's a good part. 
two more questions to finish off then you talked about continually learning how do you do that is it courses is it conversations is it both something else uh, podcasts have helped a lot. Um, you know, we, we we have a team consultant here called Brian Brown who comes in every now and again and helps us. And uh, I love talking to Brian, but he sent me a few different podcasts. Uh, mastering, I think it's called Master. It's Mastery of. I can't think of the name of it right now, but that it's helped being like they they kind of do kind of like what yourself's doing. You know, it's, it's listening to these these different coaches speak about their own experiences. You know, like I said, I think you can learn some from every coach you meet. And so, you know, podcasts, reading books, having conversations, uh, you know, it's you have to have, have the fine line between having open conversations with other coaches, but not giving away too many things in your program that they can use against you. So uh, I think it's it's balancing that out. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's if you have that never stopping learning, you know, idea. I mean, I've read books from from all sorts of great coaches from different sports that have really helped out. You know, I, I just finished a. 300 book from uh i think it was vince lombardi and and i didn't know too much about Lombardi, just how great he was as a, as a college coach and at the packers and and reading his story uh it was great to hear how he coached and how he demanded excellence and how he would just he would get into his coaches it's not perfect so we've got to do it again and and so you don't have to take everything that everyone says but if you take little things from each people i think then you can start building this this idea of how you want to be a coach and I guess that's how I kind of see it is every year your team is going to change. And so if you're not changing as a coach, you know, maybe you're falling behind. Well, you inspired me to create a podcast channel because you wrote me and asked me, you know, Hey, what, what, what should I listen to? So if you're not listening to my podcast, I'm, I'm definitely offended. Chris. <laughs> I always I tune in for it. They're great. And, and I should mention, by the way, that, that these, these videos will become podcasts as well. So we'll have both. Okay, so the, the second question then, you talked about having to do a lot of travel and recruiting and obviously a lot of time invested in your sport. And, and that's one of the things I think anybody who's outside of coaching doesn't realize is how much time is invested in what you do. How then do you balance the fact that you are a husband, you are a dad, and, and balance those roles as well, balancing your personal and mental health physical health too to ensure that you're balanced uh, that's a challenge have you found any suggestions or, or ideas that might work for for others uh you know I, I for me it's and i'm very i have a great wife she has a job as well you know we, like you said we have a two-year-old uh he's awesome uh you know he's at that age i mean i just got to spend two months with him straight and it was it was great it, it was hard and it was challenging but it it I just, he's just awesome. I've, I've loved being a dad. So that, that's quite a lucky thing to kind of have. But I think for me, it was about creating almost good parameters. You know, it's it's when I'm on the phone after 5 p.m., it's not a good thing. It doesn't send them a good message to my son, doesn't send a good message to my wife. And so it. I think for me, I've communicated a lot with different people around me. And then when these emergencies do come up, my wife is very understanding that, okay, well, he's not on the phone every day at six o'clock. So this might be important. You know, Hayes last night I had a talk to a coach in, in a time frame where we we're 14 hours behind them. And so, you know, I'm either talking to them at, at 7 PM or it's, it's, you know, it's leaking into the evening necessarily. So I think that's very good to, to clearly lay out how your day should look. And then 
I think being efficient during the day, you know, when, when you're a young coach, and like I said, you can throw a lot more time into it. And my wife went to nurse practitioner school. And so it allowed me to really, you know, work a lot and, and work long hours. And then when I became a dad or was about to become a dad, I was like, hey, I've got to get efficient. I've got to get this stuff done. I've got from 8, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I'm going to get this stuff done so that then, you know, when I go home, there isn't this big pressing matter that's got to take over. And then when you do have spare time, uh, sounds quite simple, but be in the moment, be present with, you know, I, I have to spend time with Rachel. I don't want to just, it's easy for me to just turn on the TV and watch it or turn on Netflix and watch it, but actually talking to her and listening to her and, and it's not something I'm great at. I think I'm, I'm trying to work better at doing it. Uh, you know, put my phone down, you know, talk to her, spend time with my son. Um, it, it's, if you can stay in that moment and just appreciate Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., I think it goes a long way. Great advice. If somebody does want to reach out with you to you, maybe has some questions or wants to follow up with you, what's the best way to do that? I think Twitter's the, the best way to get me. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's at Coach Christo, as you put on the screen there. So I appreciate that. Uh, feel free to follow me. Um, you know, feel free to send me a message if I can if I can help in any way. If I can answer any questions, that's great. Uh, obviously just make sure it's within the NCAA rules if you're a parent or a player. Uh, but, you know, yeah, any way I can help, you know, I think it's great. I, I got so much help from so many coaches in college tennis and so many people spend so much time with me just on the phone with me just picking their brain and understanding how things would work that uh, I'd, I'd be more than happy to help do the same. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to share your experiences and, and wisdom with us uh, really is appreciated. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Well, just a reminder, coming up on Thursday, uh, Amber Franklin will be joining us. She's the associate head coach of women's ice hockey at, I, I knew I was going to say this wrong, um, so I'm not going to say it, State University. Uh, I hope you join us for that. It'll be an interesting perspective. She's been a, a head, uh, associate head coach there for, for quite a long time, so we'll talk about some of the, the maybe the same challenges that she faces that, that Chris talked about in his um, uh, sharing with us. But on behalf of myself, uh, Tim Baghurst, and of course, Chris Adore, thank you so much for watching. Thank you.